All right, so we have, um, we have gone through the tabernacle study for the most part. We're not done by any means, but we've went through all the furniture. We've went through uh, the pattern, you know, how important that pattern was. Uh, we broke down the furniture. We started in the courtyard. Uh, we talked about the altar. We talked about the, uh, the, the la- laver. laver. We, we went into the holy place. Uh, we've been through what goes on there. We talked um, a little bit about the, the well, we, we talked about the veil, uh, the Ark of the Covenant, the Day of Atonement last week. And so um, in all of this, the lesson tonight may feel a little repetitive because, you know, the the whole tabernacle series here ha- has been aimed at drawing this out from the perspective of a priest. And, uh, I, you know, and I, I can't emphasize that enough. It's supposed to mean something to us when the New Testament calls us a priest. And how could it mean anything if, if we don't understand what was involved with that? And, and, and so, you know, these are, these are important concepts and principles that need to be taught and reinforced in our churches today. Um, you know, it, there's so much insight here uh, to the plan for the New Testament Christian, for the New Testament, uh, you know, that the, the church that Jesus died for and who we are and what we're called to be. Uh, and, you know, uh, we really aren't doing us any favors by, uh, by avoiding this section of the Bible and not teaching it and not, not sharing it with people. And so, uh, but as we've gone through this, we've looked at this you know, specifically from the view of, as a priest, what does this mean to me? And so what we've got left in this is, is specifically tonight, we're going to talk about the priesthood. And so we're going to bring a lot of those things back together. And so uh, it may feel, like I said, a little repetitive because we've been kind of hitting on it as we've went, and there's a reason for that. This is the, the angle of this that we really want to emphasize. It, it doesn't do a whole lot of good to get information if there isn't any application for it, right? And so this is where the rubber hits the road for us. And so, um, so each week we've looked at a verse of Scripture uh, that uh, we started with that gives us you know, this you know, New Testament Scripture that refers to the Christian as a priest. And so, just a couple here to, to get us started for tonight. 1 Peter 2.9 says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Okay, now who's Peter talking to? He's talking to Christians. He's writing to Christians, right? Writing to the church. And you'll notice, you know, all of this capital letter stuff in here. What does that mean? You know, where, yeah, yeah all, where everything's, been, everything's capitalized. What does that mean there? I'm sorry? It, it's, yeah, well, in the, in the Bible, usually, you know, if you, you've got text that's all capitalized, what's, what does that tell you? It's important. Oh, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a quote from the Old Testament, right? So, yeah, maybe we didn't know that. Um, yeah, so you need, you know, if you're reading through your Bible in the, in the New Testament and you see text that looks like this, because this is copied right out of the New American Standard, chosen race, royal priesthood, a holy nation, you know, this is a, this is a direct quote out of the Old Testament, right? And so, you know, you'll, you'll see that, you know, there's a whole lot of these, aren't there? Okay, yeah. And so, well, you know, I don't remember what the percentage is, but a large percent of our New Testament text is 
lifted right out of the Old Testament. And, and what's so wonderful about that is, you know, today, you know, you've got commentaries. Um, and I, you know, I've... <laughs> I don't recommend commentaries. I really don't. I'm not a big, uh, you know, my library uh, is getting bigger than it used to be, but for a long time, my library had nothing in it, just the Bible and some dictionaries, uh, some Greek textbooks. And my rule when I started preaching and I got out of Bible college was, well, I feel good that I went through Bible college, but if I can't figure anything out on my own now, I'm only as good as the, as the education that I've had, and I, can't, you know, I needed to make sure I could build on from that. And so I didn't really care what a commentator had to say about the Bible until I could see what the Bible said about itself. And so you know, I didn't really want to read. Uh, you know, I remember when I, uh, when I, when I, uh, a long time ago, I had a Bible that was probably about this size, but it was a much smaller text, and it was, it was a study Bible, and so it's got the commentary in it as you go. And you know what I caught myself doing? I'd, read, I'd spend more time reading the commentary than the Bible. You know, and so whatever the commentary said, it had to be right. I mean, those guys are smart enough, right? They got published in this book. It's been handed out to everybody, so the commentaries have got to be right. Uh, and that was kind of the attitude. I, I got a friend of mine that went to a very popular Bible college. He was handed, a, 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 you know, uh, in all of his classes, all these commentaries, was given a study Bible like that. He was, he was taught basically that he can't read and understand the Bible on his own. He has to rely on all these commentaries, okay? Well, you know... <clears throat> What's so nice about having Old Testament uh, text in the New Testament scriptures is that what we have is commentary from the Holy Spirit, right? And so anytime you read Old Testament text in the New Testament, you, you are getting a commentary on what that meant in the Old Testament directly from the Holy Spirit, Right, And so this isn't one where you've got to sit back and wonder, is this accurate? Is this really the connection that's being made here? I mean, when the Holy Spirit brings it up, you know, and makes the connection in the New Testament. You, I mean, you better, you better believe it. You know what I mean? That, that is what, you know, that's Holy Spirit-inspired commentary. And, you know, the rule of thumb is the Bible will always explain itself. You know, and, and so, you know, maybe, maybe you don't see it yet. Maybe you need to keep digging. Maybe you need to keep reading. But the Bible will explain itself. And so, you know, whenever you see these, uh, these Old Testament quotes in the New Testament, boy, it's, we're, we're seeing a connection. Well, you know, in the Old Testament there, we've got all these ideas about what Israel was supposed to be. You know, there was these promises to Israel, but they weren't fulfilled in Israel, were they? Right? Even the promise that Abraham was received, you know, uh, was never fulfilled in Abraham. You think all of that was about land? You know? What was the promise to Abraham? Okay? Yeah, that through Abraham, what was going to happen? Right, yeah, let's, let's turn over to Galatians chapter 3 real quick. Galatians chapter 3. Verse 16, Galatians chapter 3. And it says here, Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say, and to seeds, as referring to many, but rather to one. And to your seed, that is Christ. And so when, when God promised Abraham that through his seed all nations would be blessed, well, you know, where's that fulfilled? 
It's fulfilled in Christ. It wasn't fulfilled in the, in the promised land. It wasn't, it wasn't fulfilled in, in the land of Canaan and the conquest. And the, it wasn't fulfilled in the Old Testament. It's fulfilled in Christ, right? Christ is the fulfillment of these promises. And, you know, we really got to start seeing, you know, one of the things that, you know, I, I, people, you know, we've, we talked about this when we very first started this study, that today we get this idea that we're New Testament Christians and, you know, we're a New Testament church. And so that kind of gives the idea that we don't need the Old Testament anymore, right? Uh, and, and now that's, that's a, not a good way to think about this, okay? Uh, because, you know, so, you know, to understand who we are and what we've arrived at, you know, God was not just randomly working through some things and, and then all of a sudden decided, well, that didn't work, so let's send Jesus now. You know, everything that happened throughout the Old Testament was part of the plan. It was what was laid down to bring us to the point where we could understand what it means to be in Christ and what Christ did for us and where we could appreciate it and be grateful for it and step up to the responsibilities that, have been, that we've been called forth to be a part of. You know, we need that understanding. And so, you know, you, you kick the Old Testament out, it's like kicking out a, a, a leg of a a three-legged stool you know you're going to fall down you need we need to be propped up with that information right that's a there's foundational uh, truths that are embedded throughout the old testament that are absolutely instrumental in our identity in christ okay and so you know, we get these ideas in the Old Testament, chosen race, uh, royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. That was all referred to uh, Israel in, in the past, but that was never fulfilled in Israel, was it? So God was looking for a day where his people would be these things, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, or a peculiar people or a treasure. There's some weird translations there with that end of it. But, um, but, but that's the idea. Israel never was that. I mean, maybe they were physically, but they never were what God was looking for. Its, it's fulfillment is in the church and who we are. And so, you know, if we don't understand where these quotes come from, we'll never understand the impact of them today, you see? And so this, this is such a crucial idea. Let's jump down to this one, 1 Peter 2, 5. Same, same concept. You also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And so, you know, again, each lesson we look at this because we're trying to help build our thinking and hopefully we're starting to see how important our understanding of these concepts are. And like I said, you go through the Old Testament and, and there's people that'll tell you that's not relevant. Uh, we don't need that today. Uh, that's information that, that doesn't make any difference right now. And the thing is, how are we possibly going to understand who we are as a Christian without the work that God did to bring us to that? Right? How are we going to understand, uh, uh, you know, just going through this class, I mean, you know, let, let's... Well, uh, let's hear your thought. I mean, what are some, some concepts about Christianity that have been brought forth so far in the tabernacle study that, that you think are important that we don't quite seem to get without it? And are there any? Maybe that's, yeah, go ahead. Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. So there's 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 an understanding of that and this appreciation of it that you 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 just don't have if you've not been on the other side of it like that. Sure, yeah. Jer.
You're right, yeah. And that's, one, that's a big thing we're going to talk about tonight. That, that, that attitude most Christians have, I don't have, any, I don't have to do anything. I'm just here. Uh, I'm in it for what God can do for me. And, uh, um, but, you know, we don't get, that doesn't line up, does it? I mean, it just doesn't line up with the idea that we're presented with throughout the, the study. Yeah. Yeah, anything else? Sure. We're so fortunate we can be so thankful and grateful for our position as a pretty convenient born at this time and not back at that time again. Yeah. Right, we're there. Yeah. And again, and then all that work and it didn't even it didn't even get you there. You know, didn't even get you there for sure. Yeah. So so like I said, you know, there's all these principles that are building building together, you know, these these concepts of who we are as a Christian, the relationship that we are, are supposed to have with Christ, the work we're called to do as a priest in his kingdom. You know, I, I you know, I, I'm teaching through the book of Hebrews on, on Wednesdays with uh, some students there in the Bible college. And, you know, uh, my goodness, I don't know how you could even approach that book without the uh, understanding of the, of the Old Testament system and the tabernacle and the, the sacrifices and the priesthood and especially the priesthood. Uh, and so, you know, Revelation is another book. I mean, we're, that pattern, we're going to talk about that uh, probably the next class that we have. So it'll be in two weeks. We'll get into that. But that, that pattern that Moses was shown on the mountain came from somewhere, right? It came from heaven. And so we, when John is sent in to, to you know, uh, and, and gets a glimpse of heaven, we ought to see it all there. And we do. We absolutely do. And I think, wow, how could you read through, you know, you know if you read through Revelation without that understanding of that tabernacle, that heavenly tabernacle, you're really going to miss out on, on what's, what's actually taking place there and unfolding there, I think. And so, so anyway, you know, there's just, just so many crucial ideas here that we need to kind of get through our head and, and hopefully, hopefully we're accomplishing that, but, you know, hopefully you're also seeing why this is important to teach uh, and, and, you know, make sure we don't leave these things out. So um, tonight, specifically dealing with the priesthood, let's, let's kind of talk about this. What, what is required? What does it take to become an Old Testament priest, right? And so there's, there's certain requirement. You know, we've talked about those barriers every week. We've uh, made, you know, we've really stressed that point that it's not like you could just sit back and say, I really want to be a priest. And as long as I love God enough and desire God enough and, you know, put in enough effort, I can be a priest. It didn't work that way. You know, there were requirements. And so um, the first requirement we see, uh, maybe the most obvious one is... Uh, and I've got Numbers chapter 3, verses 6 through 10. Uh, we, we can turn there and read that. <clears throat> Numbers chapter 3. Okay, when you're there, say got it. Numbers chapter 3, verses 6 through 10 here. It says... Uh, uh, verse 5 says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Verse 6, Bring the tribe of Levi near, set them before Aaron the priest, that they may serve him. 
They shall perform the duties for him and for the whole congregation before the tent of meeting to do the service of the tabernacle. They shall also keep all the furnishings of the tent of meeting along with the duties of the sons of Israel to do the service of the tabernacle. You shall thus give the Levites to Aaron and to his sons. They are wholly given to him from among the sons of Israel. So you shall appoint Aaron and his sons that they uh, may keep their priesthood, but the layman who comes near shall be put to death. And so, you know, one of the things we see here, of course, obviously, what I'm trying to get us to see is that there's, there are several different avenues where the priest uh, in the Old Testament had to be set apart, right? And so there's a several ways that an Old Testament priest was set apart as a priest. One of them was strictly by the fact that he was, was from the tribe of Levi. So it wasn't enough that you were an Israelite. You had to be specifically out of the tribe of Levi in order to be part of the priesthood. Now, um, one of the things that we're, we're starting to see even here in this text is that God is, is setting apart these individuals as priesthood uh, because if anybody else approaches, what's going to happen? They die, right? So it's real important. You know, there, there, there's, this is one of these things that, that happened today and we're going to talk about more tonight. But, you know, in the church today, it seems like if, if we, in the Old Testament, that God made it real clear these people are allowed to do this. These people are not. And, and there wasn't any, any muddy water about that. I mean, it was real. Either you fit the bill, either you're qualified or you're not, and that's all there is to it. And so if you were not a priest, you were not walking in there. And if you did, you died. That was the end of it, right? And so God was real clear. This is what I expect, right? This is the standard. This, these, these are the rules. And, you know, you think about in the church today, uh, you know, we're almost so desperate to have anybody be a part of it that we, we welcome people people to do things they shouldn't be doing right you know I, I uh, it, it blows my mind when I sit around in a revival and you'll see a denominational preacher come in and the preacher asks the guy to lead us in, in prayer tonight God ain't hearing him you understand we're asking the guy to do something he can't do okay you know we, we, we want people to lead us our, our, our services you know that that aren't qualified we had a guy um, we had a we had a fellow came to church a few years ago, and he was uh, he was uh, he was a he ran a business. Um, you know, he he had his family there with him, and you know he was he was a little wealthier, and you know had some influence and things. And just immediately, as soon as he started coming, I got people coming up to me saying, "Well, you guys can guess what's everybody wanting us to do with the guy." Oh, we need to make him an elder for sure. And I, you know, guy wasn't even a Christian. Okay, but we want to make him an elder. I said, listen, we, we, he's not even obeyed the gospel yet, right? And, and we're wanting to make him a leader. Well, under what qualification? Like, for what reason? I, I think he's a good guy too, but that doesn't make him spiritually qualified for a spiritual position. And so, we, you know, but we have this habit of just, you know, we, we want to invite people to do things they can't do. We take lost people and come worship with us Sunday. They, they, if, you're not, if you don't have the truth and you're not in the spirit, you, you don't get to worship. Right? It's a privilege. And, and so, you know, in the Old Testament, God was real clear. There's, there's certain people that can't do these things, certain people that can. And today, we live in a society where we have to be so inclusive that the church, you know, it doesn't stop there. It's, we don't want to confront sin. We don't want to confront immorality in, in our congregation. We don't want to confront any of that stuff. And so everything's okay all the time, and everybody's welcome to do anything they want. And for us to stand up and say, no, there, there's, there are criteria Right there, there are you know there's there's things that we want to uh, encourage and there's things that we are not going to encourage and to stand up and do that it's really uh, you know 
you become the bad guy real quick, you know. And so I don't understand why that is. Um, The church is not ours, it's the Lord's. And, uh, you know, it it should be our job to keep it the Lord's and to to protect it. And, and, you know, if if somebody came in and they're living in sin, uh, I'm not going to invite them to come up and give the communion meditation next Sunday. I'm not going to ask them to lead us in prayer. I'm not going to put my stamp of approval on them. I'm not going to put them in the spotlight. I'm not going to send them down to start taking care of our kids on Sunday morning. I don't want any of that. I don't want anyone to think that I approve of sinful behavior in a Christian, right? And so what are we going to do there? You're going to ignore it? You're going to confront it? You know, these are things we got to decide as a congregation how we're going to deal with these things. Now, there's a right way and a wrong way to deal with it, but ignoring it's not the right way to deal with it, you see. And so, anyway, right away from the get-go, we've got, we've got there where God was setting this up, that there are standards here with these things. And so there were, there were people that had to be set apart uh, if they were going to serve, right? Set apart if they were going to have the privilege of, of being able to enter into the presence of God. Right, and if anybody, uh, you know, God just wasn't going to have it from anybody else. Somebody didn't come up and say, "Well, so and so here is, uh, you know, he runs a big business in town. He's got a lot of influence. You know, uh, we, you know, we really need to keep him happy, and so we're going to let him go into the holy place and light the incense this week." Think that happened? Yeah, he'd be dead. Okay, that's what would happen, you see. And so, uh, you know, so keep that in mind. And I think we talked about this, uh, you know, early on in the studies, but we, you know, not only is it, is it bad because it, it, it waters down the standard that God gave us, what would happen, okay, if that fellow, if I went ahead and said, all right, let's, let's do this. Let's, 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 let's appoint this guy, set him apart as an elder in the church. Now, he's not even a Christian. So, you know, what are some of the problems that are going to come now? Okay, <laughs> right. Well, he's not a spiritual person, and he's in, now he's in spiritual leadership, so that's going to affect everybody negatively. Okay, you think that guy's ever going to repent? You think that once you do something like that, he's ever going to come to the realization that maybe there's something I need to do? Yeah, you, you'll divide the church if, you know, if anyone else is aware and cares. You know, yeah, you're going to divide the church. But, but this, are you doing that guy any favors, though? No, he's going to stay lost uh, because you all just, just you know, if, if that's what we did, what we do is we say, okay, well, not only do we approve of, of, of you and what you've done, we're going to set you up as a shining example for the rest of the congregation. And so that, that individual stays lost for a long time. There's a preacher in Virginia uh, that, I, that I like a lot there, um, and he's got a, his, uh, um, where is he at? Um, anyway, um, he probably wouldn't care if I told you who he was and all of that, but, but anyway, I won't just for the sake of it. But anyway, he, uh, you know, this guy, uh, his, his kind of his story is really worth listening to, but, you know, he was in a church there. He was a deacon, and he was getting ready. To, he was, uh, uh, I think he, his father-in-law was an elder in the church or something like that, and anyway, they hired a new preacher uh, the week that they were going to set him apart as a deacon. And, uh, and anyway, the, the preacher met with this guy, and, uh, and found out that he'd never been immersed for the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so he says, well, we got some, some issues here, you know. Uh, and then there were other issues that, that made this guy not qualified for the position. Well, this preacher was just like he was moving into the parsonage. And all of a sudden, he's got to tell the, the son-in-law of, of one of the elders that he's not fit to be a deacon and that he's not even a Christian. Okay, and so this guy, you know, tries to handle this the best he can, does does confront the individual, you know, and, and anyway, and that was kind of eye-opening to him. And he thought, man, this guy's really, he's willing to risk everything to, to inform me that maybe I'm not 
not where I need to be. And, you know, on and on it goes. Well, comes to find out this guy wasn't a Christian. He eventually, he, he does obey the gospel. Uh, you know, he does end up, uh, you know, uh, becoming a Christian. He's been preaching for, I don't know, the last 15, 20 years out there. One of the most conservative, uh, strongest preachers I've, I've met out there. I, I put my stamp of approval on the guy. Love him to death. Uh, but he sat in a, in a Church of Christ building for years, not a Christian, and everyone just kept moving him right along and, and wanted to put him into leadership position. No one ever sat down and confronted him. You know, it's a wonder the guy ever became a Christian at all. You see, and so you, you got to think, how often does that happen? It happens more often than you think. There's been a lot of people that I've met with, and it, it, doesn't, it doesn't come out in the open until you're sitting down one-on-one at a kitchen table with the Bible out, and you start getting real personal about what we've done, what we've been taught, when they realize, you know what, I've never actually done what the Bible tells me to do here. I'm like, are you serious? Yeah, you know, I've, you know, I've had the people who's been playing the piano for 20 years in the church building. You need to come up and be immersed into Christ. You know, I've had, I've had an elder in the church. I needed to immerse him and his wife because, you know, just no one had ever sat down and walked him through this stuff before. So something to think about. You know, we've got to be careful, you know, uh, inviting people to do things that they can't do, you know. Uh, and so, anyway, that's a standard for sure that God set up. All right, so, so anyway, back to this. The priesthood, uh, they're set apart uh, by their tribe. And so, even from among Israel. Now, you think about that. Israel was set apart from the rest of the world. They were supposed to be this nation where they are different because God is our, our king. Uh, God is, is, we're following him. Uh, one of the things that made Israel different from everybody else, Israel had the word of God. Nobody else did, right? And so, that gave them a leg up. It was literally like being the only person with a flashlight in the midst of a blackout, right? So Israel had the light, the lamp, and everybody else didn't. They were wandering in the darkness. And so big difference between the Gentiles and the Jews. Uh, also, you've got the, 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 the Jewish people had the covenant with God. Uh, you know, they had the laws. They had the system where God set up and, and all of this. But even out of Israel, the priesthood was set apart from them. Okay, and so, um, and then, you know, they're set apart. Why? Well, you know, we talked about this in Exodus 32. The Levites were the only tribe uh, not participating in the golden calf worship at Mount Sinai. Okay, and so they have, a, they, they have a history, if you go through the line, of having a zeal for God that set them apart from everybody else, you see? And so, and that's, that's something you see continually there with the Levites. Um, we also see that, uh, that's yeah, so they're set apart from the, as the tribe of Levi set apart uh, for their, their zeal and contending for the faith. Uh, in Leviticus 21, there's physical requirements, right? And so, you know, one of the things that, that I hope we've, we've seen with this is that some of these physical requirements um, for a priest were, were uh, a lot of them were largely out of your control. Right, and so you don't. Dis- I mean, if you're blind, if you you have a certain disease or physical ailment, I mean, you know, you probably didn't cause that to happen, and yet that could that could disqualify you. Okay, and so uh, you could be a Levite, but not end up being a priest. So every priest was a Levite, but not every Levite became a priest. And so there there were physical requirements that would keep a, an individual from being a priest. And again, a lot of those were out of your control. Okay, now that's, that's something to consider because today I hear a lot with, uh, when it comes to elders and looking at the qualifications given in the scriptures. Well, you know, what if the guy's not married? Then he's not qualified. 
What if he doesn't have children? Well, he's supposed to have faithful children, you see. And so, you know, well, it's not his fault if he can't. Well, it wasn't their fault if they were born with missing an arm or a leg, you know. Didn't mean they weren't spiritual people. Didn't mean God didn't love them. Doesn't mean they can't be a tremendous influence. Means they don't meet the qualifications. And so it's something to consider. Uh, you know, a lot of the excuses we hear today for why we're not going to follow First Timothy chapter 3 or, or the book of Titus is, 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 you know, going down that road with a lot of speculations and what if and don't you think. And, uh, you know, I, I think God's smarter than we are. <laughs> so maybe we should just stick with what, what the Bible tells us. All right. And then uh, the last one was uh, their inheritance, okay? Uh, how, how is the Levites, how is the priesthood set apart in their inheritance different from everybody else? That, well, okay, they, they, they don't get a... They get some land, right? They, had, uh, they were received 48 priestly cities, uh, the cities of refuge, right? Uh, but they don't get their own, there's not a land of Levites, right? They're, they don't have their own big territory. Uh, and so what, what did they get instead of that? I'm sorry, I think I heard it. The tithe, yeah. So they received the tithe from the land. Now they also paid a tithe. Right, and so you got twelve tribes paying in, uh, you know, and then the the, the God, and so who uh, who uh, did Israel pay the tithe to the to the Levites, or did they pay the tithe to God? They paid the tithe to God, and God allotted it for the Levites. Now that's there's an important distinguish uh, in there because I've seen people say, well, I, I've seen. Uh, people talk you know when it's time to pass around the, the collection plate that we're given to the church and the work of the church that may be where it goes but that's not who you're giving it to you're giving it to God and God has told us what we're supposed to do with it you see but it's it goes to him and so uh, that's important because I've seen where sometimes someone says well I don't really know that the church needs it right now or uh, you know the church hasn't got something specific they're trying to do with it we won't give don't work like that you know you give to God and then God has told us what to do with it. And so, you know, maybe it's going to the work of the church. Maybe it's going to this or that. But you give to God. You don't give to your local congregation. Okay. Now, that's where, that's where it goes. You bring it into the storehouse. But, you know, the mentality is I'm giving this to God, not to the Liberty Christian Church or not to the Glencoe Church of Christ or what, you know. <clears throat> All right. Um, here's what I'm trying to get at. There's... <laughs> There's two aspects of being set apart that we need to kind of wrap our heads around. There's this idea of being set apart from something, right? And that's kind of what we've seen. Israel is set apart from the rest of the world. The, the Levites are set apart out of Israel. Uh, they're set apart uh, from Israel because of their zeal, from the physical requirements of the priests. The, even their inheritance is different. And so they're set apart from everybody else. But there's, there's another aspect of it, and that's to be set apart for something. And, and both have to be true right you don't just set something apart just to have it set apart it's it's got to be set apart for and from and so those are the two aspects so uh, the separation um, you know from the holy and the profane uh, is what we've talked about uh, you know throughout this this tabernacle series that what God has been demonstrating to us is that he is holy uh, he's been demonstrating what a holy people was supposed to was supposed to understand and do and there's this separation between what's what's holy and what's profane and of course if we had to redefine those words or define those words not redefine those words um, what does holy mean set apart and what does profane mean common right so it's what's been set apart as something special and what is what is common um 
what, what sometimes I picture in my head, uh, and maybe you all know what I'm talking about, you, uh, I, you see less of it today, but you know, it seems like the older generations usually have, uh, have like some, some, I don't know what they call this, maybe you all can help me out with this, uh, a piece of furniture in your house that has fine china in it. What's that called? China cabinet, look at that. We were creative when we named that one. Uh, I, I don't have a China cabinet. Uh, I, my mother does. My mom has a China cabinet, and in it is a, a set of plates and dishes, and, and I have never seen it out on a table. I've never ate a meal off of it in my life. Now, you know, I don't know how long she's had it, she's probably since before I was born, but it's set apart, <laughs> okay? It's, it's set apart, it's special but I don't know what it's for. <laughs> so, you know, we've got half of the equation there. It's, it's not like the rest of the stuff we eat on, but I don't know what the purpose of that china is for. I guess when the president comes to our house, uh, she'll bring that out, but we've not quite had anybody, you know, uh, well, maybe the president, I don't know if I'd give him that right now, but any <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, so that's set apart from everything else, but not for, right? For, it's set apart, you know, from and for. And so the Christian, I think sometimes we get the set apart from idea down, okay? And so uh, we say, well, we're, we're different than the world and we're different than the church down the road. And, you know, I use that word church very usefully there. And, you know, and, and maybe we're different from uh, the Christians, that, that, that people that say they're Christians that don't actually show up and do anything and aren't committed. And, you know, we're not out there living worldly and immoral moral and wicked lives and so we're set apart from all of that garbage right and so and that's good not gonna not gonna knock that well, I mean that's that's something okay but then the other question is well what are you doing right okay so what are, what are you set apart for why are you different from everybody else and you know I think if we're honest we have a hard time answering that question sometimes um you know, a couple years ago, we, we ran a couple months of, of sermons where the whole gist of it was, was trying to figure out what is it that makes us a Christian, and it, it's got to be more than just, well, here I am, you know, I showed up tonight, and I showed up Sunday, and it's got to be more than, you know, I, I, I sit in the pew for an hour and sing songs and, you know, took the Lord's Supper and, 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 and suffered through a sermon. You know, it's got to be more than that uh, that makes us the church. You know, uh, matter of fact, you know, when you look through the book of Acts, and I love this about the book of Acts, is it's the Acts of the church, okay? How many church services do you read about? Okay, well, we, sure, I, I don't know that those were officially called out, you know, let's come to the church building, but we see, we see, we see Christians gathering together and praying, but as far as like a, a Sunday morning assembly, how many of those do we... How many of those do we read about in the book of Acts? Okay, you know, if anything, we got, you know, Eutychus falling out the window. You know, I mean, that, that, that might, you know, if you want to stretch it, we could say maybe that is a, is a church service that we've got recorded in the book of Acts. And so I think it's interesting that, that when the early church, you know, we got this recording of the Acts of the early church, and it's all happening out of a church meeting. Like it's almost none of it's in an assembly. It's all, it's all the church out in the world being active, engaging the world, making a difference. And if we were to write a history of, of, uh, of our acts as a church, almost everything we'd have to write about would be, well, on this Sunday we came together and on this Tuesday night we had a class in the building. And like how much of what we do as Christians is taking place outside of this building? Do you see where I'm getting at here? You know, the world has never been commanded to come to the church building. 
But the church has been commanded to go out into the world, right? And so, you know, it, it seems like the acts of the church, this shouldn't, we shouldn't call this our service. Um, our service should be living a life where I'm spiritually bowed down before my Lord and my King 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I'm engaged in His will. I have a kingdom attitude in my life, an evangelistic lifestyle where I I naturally want to share the Gospel with the people in my life, the people I'm coming in contact with. You know, that's what it should look like. You know, and, and, and that would be something worth talking about. But if, if most, most Christians today had to write a list of what things did you do this week because you're a Christian and the church building can't be a part of anything you write down, how many people would have anything to really write down? Well, I prayed this week. That's good. Keep your prayer life going. You know, I, I, I studied my Bible some. That's good. You need to be built up in your faith. Get prepared. That it? Is that all we're doing? Jesus did all this for us? You know, we get to have the barriers removed and we get to draw near and we get to be a priest who's offering service and worship before our God continually in His presence, boldly before the throne. And we read our Bible and we pray sometimes. Kind of seems like we're missing the ball a little bit, don't you think? See? And so, our, our, what we're called to do is, is different than what we're called away from. And see, if you had to make a list to say, okay, write down all the things you don't do because you're a Christian, most of us wouldn't have a problem coming up with the list. Right? Well, here's a whole list of things I'm not doing because I'm, you know, as far as I don't drink and I don't smoke and I don't gamble and I, you know what I mean? I mean, you can list all the sins that you don't engage with and all the worldly things that aren't a part of your life and, you know, and so here's all the things I'm not doing, but that alone can't make you a Christian. Like what defines us in Christ has got to be more than what you aren't doing. It's got to also be what we are doing. So we are called away from those things, right? And that's, that's good. That is part of it, right? But we aren't just, you know, a china cabinet <laughs> uh, on display and never being, you know, we, we are, what have we, been, what have we what have we been called to do? Yeah, yeah. We've been made in Christ for good works. We've been called to go into this world, to engage this world. You know, we are to be that light, that salt, that sitting on a hill. And, and so there's, there's a whole lot there that we need to, be, uh, need to be preparing ourselves for. And so, like I said, two aspects there. Set apart from, set apart for. And I think we've got usually one of those down okay. Uh, the other one I think we need certainly to do some work on, you know. Um, okay, so... Physical Israel was set up, okay, the priests were set apart from Israel with these things, right? Their zeal for the truth, their lineage, their families, uh, they're set apart uh, by their profession, uh, they're set apart even by the encampment where Israel camps around, uh, you know, the tabernacle. They're set apart from the rest of Israel because of their relationship to God. So they're set apart from Israel in all of these ways, but they're set apart for all of this over here, okay? Uh, because someone is a priest, what happens now? Well, they facilitate the sacrifices, okay? Uh, after um, God hands out the law and the covenant is made, you know, when you go back and you read through like Genesis, you're going to read about, um, you know, people making altars and, and, and having sacrifices, Cain and Abel, for example, Abraham, and, and all of that's fine. We don't have any rules. We don't have any laws about how sacrifices work. Once God sets up the priesthood, once the covenant begins and God sets up the tabernacle, every sacrifice has to go through the temple. 
Every sacrifice goes through the hands of a priest. You don't get to go home, make your own, make your own altar, and set up your own sacrifice. It's, you don't get to do that. Right? It has to go through a priest. It has to go through the, the, the tabernacle. And so um, the average Israelite could bring the offering, but a priest had to sacrifice it. And then the priest also had to determine whether it was going to be acceptable to God or not, or whether to send it back home and say, bring back your best. Okay? And so that was part of what they were set apart for. They inspect the offerings. And they uh, actually facilitated the sacrifices. Okay, they also uh, they wash in the laver there. We talked about that when we went through that study, uh, but we mentioned that there was a day when uh, a man went from being just an average Levite, and then now he's been consecrated as a priest, and so he's been washed. And that's one of the requirements. Uh, we're going to talk more about that tonight. We're going to see that come up quite a bit throughout the scriptures. Uh, but the washing is necessary. Okay, everyone, uh, everyone who was watching, you think about this physically, what are they watching? We talked about how gruesome and bloody those sacrifices would have been, but here's this priest and he's dealing with the sacrifice at the altar and then they're going to wash him, they're going to watch as he turns around and washes up. Well, why is he washing? He's filthy. Right? I mean, he's been dealing with the filth. He's been dealing with sin. He's been dealing with the world and now he's going to go inside where? The holy place? He's going to deal with God, right? And so we've got to clean up, okay? And so physically, he's, we're seeing that. Uh, they've been out here messing with, uh, with the rest of us. Now they've got to go in there where, where God is. And so they're going to wash the world, wash that sin off of them. Uh, they ate the showbread, okay? They maintained the lampstand. They burned the incense. And then when the tabernacle was being moved, it was the priest that, that hauled it, had that responsibility and that privilege to move it around. Okay, and so you got to realize that as we go through this tabernacle study, the average Israelite really had almost nothing to do with the tabernacle other than it was the center of their life. Uh, it was the focus of what they were doing. But I mean, they don't, they don't get to be hands-on with almost any of it. They bring the offering. They bring the sacrifice. That's as far as it goes for them. And so the priests were set apart from Israel uh, in all of these ways, but they're set apart for service. And that's, that's such a crucial idea there. Okay, let's go back to this here. Um, this verse we've talked about quite a bit. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. All of that, we've been set apart from the world, haven't we? Set up where we've been, we're a chosen race, right? That royal priesthood, a holy, a set apart people, right? And a people for God's own possession. And then the red part here is the why. Why did we need to be set apart? So that we can proclaim the excellencies of Him who's called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. Now, you know, let's, let's think about this for a minute. Our job is to proclaim the excellencies of God who's called us out of darkness into His light. How can we accomplish that if, we are, if, if people looking at us can't distinguish the light from the darkness? Right, if it still looks like we're no different than the rest of the world, what kind of what kind of power does our message have? We don't. You know, I love I love the story of the demonic man in Mark five. I think it's one of the best evangelistic sermons that that uh, for me it just gets me. It's convicting to me and it's challenging and it's 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 for me it's very simple to see. I love the 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 the, the imagery there. You've got this guy in Mark five that's living in the tombs, right, and he is. Uh, 
you know, he's screaming all night long. He's naked. He's cutting himself. No one can bind him, so he's just uncontrollable. I mean, such a... Could you imagine that here in, in your town? I mean, could you imagine driving up to Versailles and there's a guy like that living in the middle of the town? Like that, it's a scary thing. Like this, you wouldn't want your kids riding the bike outside of that, where that guy's at in the cemetery. You know, the property values in town probably are going down because this guy's there. It's a, everybody knows this guy, right? He's a, he's, he's a serious, you know, a serious issue there in town. When, he, by the time he's done meeting Jesus, what does the Bible say about him? Do you remember? Well, yeah, before that though, after he says that he's sitting at the feet of the Lord in his right mind and clothed. Like that's night and day. I mean, how different is that? From screaming, uncontrollable, can't be bound, cutting himself naked. I mean, and now he's clothed and he's sitting in his right mind at the feet of Christ. It is, it is polar opposites. There couldn't be anything, any more difference there. Physically, you know, I mean, the same guy, but completely different in the way they behave in the life that they now live. And then, you know, what is he supposed to do? He's going to go into his town. He's going to tell everybody what Jesus did for him. And then when Jesus shows up in that town, a few chapters later, there's a lot of people there uh, excited to hear what Jesus can do. Now, what difference would that demonic man make if he went back in the town and he said, everybody, look what Jesus did for me and he's still naked and he's still screaming and he's still cutting himself and he's still chaotic and still can't be bad. I mean, if nothing changed and he says, look at the power of Jesus, you think anyone cares? How much power does Jesus have now? See, no one sees it though, right? If, if he's no different, see, but if, but if he's completely different, man, he's got a powerful message. Now, if the church wants to be powerfully effective at getting our message out there, we better be set apart from the world, right? We've been set apart from the world so that we can proclaim a message. And if they're going to listen to the message, they need to see that there is something different in Christ. Okay, and so we're set apart from so that we can be effective in what we've been set apart for. That's the idea, okay? And so what, what, what we need to see is, is with being set apart, being a holy people for God. And that's, and that's what that means. I'm, I'm different uh, from the world and, and I've got a different purpose than the world, right? That's, I'm, a holy, I'm holy to God. That's my life, okay? It's, it's lived differently than everybody else and it's, it's lived for a different reason than everybody else. And <clears throat> what I want you to see is that being a priest in the Old Testament and now... Set apart both with, with privileges and with responsibilities. Okay? And I think sometimes we look at this, we look at the priesthood and we think, what a burden. What a burden. But you, you realize that the priesthood was never meant to be a burden. It was meant to be an honor. Okay? This was, you know, privilege and responsibility. And as soon as we stop looking at our Christian service that way, we're in trouble. I mean, if, if we, it, it, you know, I remember growing up, you know, every task my dad gave me to do, I always, he always said, I get to do it. 
You know what I mean? I didn't have to do it. I get to do it. You, you all, I do that with my kids too, and they hate it as much as I did. Because uh, whether, whether he says I get to or I have to, I know I have to, you know. But the point is, it's not just about what you do. It's also the attitude you have when you're doing it, okay? And if you don't believe that, right, there's a big difference. We, we talk about, uh, you know, you, we kind of sometimes joke that, that maybe you, a wife or your mother might make you a meal with love. That's the special ingredient. Well, have you ever ate a meal uh, from a woman that was resentful and bitter, <laughs> you know, uh, that just threw it together because I have to make something and, and you know, and I don't really care about you anyway. Uh, it, there, you can taste the difference, guys, <laughs> okay? And so, you know, it, it, the attitude goes a long way in what you're doing. It's not just what you do, all right? It's, it's why you're doing it. If you've ever been in a church where everybody shows up because, well, we have to come back Sunday, it's different than a group of people that are excited to be there and can't think of anywhere they'd rather be. You, you know what I mean? And so it's not just about what you're doing, it's about why you're doing it, okay? And so set apart with privileges and responsibility. Now, um, how do I become a priest? Okay, well, let's take a break. We'll come back to this. Okay, so let's, let's talk about this... Uh, this, you know, how do, how do we become a priest? Now, I know we, we steered this conversation that way um, when we went through the, the laver, the laver there um, about the, the washing, but uh, just the same, it's, it's important that we, you know, we talk about this. Uh, you know, again, there was a day when a qualified Levite went from being not a priest to becoming one, and he was consecrated that day and made holy, and what was the point where that changed for him? It was his washing. It was the point where he was washed. And so, um, you know, let's turn to Hebrews 10, 22. The reason this washing, while you're turning there, the reason this washing has to take place is because, you know, remember, God told him to do this or else he would die, right? If he doesn't wash, he would die. And so he washes to make himself holy. Um, Where is his service taking place? In the profane or in the holy? The service to God takes place in the holy. And so he can't be profane, right? He, he has to be consecrated. He has to be made holy. He has to wash off the profane in order to, to, to offer that service where God is. And so, you know, you, we think back to in the garden, Adam and Eve, they, they, they got sin on them and what had to happen? They, yeah, they had to had to get out of there, right? And so no longer are they allowed to be in the same place as God. And so if the priest doesn't wash, okay, he could not physically move into the place where service was to be offered. Spiritually, if we do not wash, we do not get to spiritually enter into the place where service gets to take gets to happen. Okay, and so Hebrews ten twenty two. Um, and I don't have it up there. I thought I had it up there. I was talking and not turning. I'm sorry. All right. Hebrews 10, 22. It says, Let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. 
And so, you know, this, this is what has to happen to draw near. That's the whole idea is that this priest physically was going to draw in closer to God than anybody else was able to do. And so to break that through that barrier, right, to be able to enter into the, the, the glory of God, the presence of God, to offer Him service and worship, uh, this was necessary. Okay, let's turn to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Okay, we see the same picture here for the church. Um, and again, we brought this verse up when we went through the, the, that study about being washed there uh, and set apart as a priest. But in, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, beginning in verse 9, 9 and 10, we have one of those, um, I don't know, I've heard people call these the sin lists. Okay, it's real encouraging if you want to really uplift your congregation this Sunday, preach on the sin list, all right? Um, and so, uh, a list of, of just, you know, horrendous things that are going on there, sinful in people's lives. And then he likes to, he adds in verse 11, well, we've all been there, okay? And so, everybody that he's talking to, they, they, they had been in that boat at some point. And so, here's what he says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, or revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And then what's he say in verse 11? Such what? Were some of you. Such were some of you. And that word were is so important there. Because are they still that way? No. Right and and you know and we we struggle with this in the church sometimes the vocabulary the words that we're using and we don't always like to 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 go there and I think there's sometimes this sense of false humility you know where we sit back and say well we're we're just human and we're we're just a bunch of sinners and there's that's all we are and we can never aspire to be anything else and I'm so unworthy and oh you know we were all of those things a hundred percent for sure. Okay, and you know, I, I had a preacher when I was younger, um, you know, uh, well, early in, in the ministry anyway, this guy would get up and, and I don't know why, every week, he, you know, his, part of his invitation was just to go on about how horrible we all are. And, uh, and I always thought, you know, it's like telling your kids that you'll never amount to anything and they might actually amount to nothing, you know. But if you tell them what you're capable of, Maybe they'll, maybe they'll turn out to something. And when you tell the church you're never going to amount to anything, you're all just a bunch of dirty, ungrateful sinners. And, well, you know, it's no wonder maybe that's what our churches are full with sometimes, you see. And so this guy would get up and talk about how well we sin all the time. And every hour of the day he sins. And I, I once asked him, I said, do you set your alarm clock to go off at night? Make sure you do a little sinning every hour. I mean, you know, I said, if you're still in sin, you need to repent. I said, no, I've sinned. For sure I have, but, but if I've repented and I've been immersed, those sins are gone. They don't identify me anymore. Now, so I'm a sinner in the sense that someone who's murdered someone is still a murderer, okay? But, but that doesn't mean they're currently on a murder spree. You see what I mean? If you're in Christ, right, and there's sin in your life right now, you need to repent. If you, if, if, if you have repented, are you in sin? Okay, no, we shouldn't be afraid, to, afraid of that. that. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. And so he looks at this list and everybody sitting there says, that used to be my life. And he doesn't say, well, that's still you, but you're saved. And well, you're no different than that, but now you've, you've been covered by God or whatever. You know, we hear those things today. He says, no, that used to be you. Now you're different, right? That demonic man, that used to be him. Now 
He's clothed in his right mind and making a difference for the kingdom. You see? Now I think about me before I, 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 before I was in Christ, worthless. And not just, not just to God. I, was, I would have been a worthless husband. I would have been a worthless friend. I was a worthless son. You know, uh, but being in Christ put me in a better position and made that position better for everybody connected to me. You, you ask my wife if it's better being married to a Christian than someone who's not. You know, ask my parents if it's better to have a son who's a Christian than a son who's not. You know, they'll, they'll tell you it is. And so when someone is living the life that God's called us to live, you know, and, and we're following that, it's better. It is so much better. It puts us in a better position. And so he's talking to the church at Corinth and he says, this was you all, right? You were these things, were. But now what are they? He says, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. Guys, that has to mean something. That has to mean something to us. Right? When did this change for us? When you were washed. Right? Your sins weren't just covered over. Right? God doesn't just look at you differently. Okay? God doesn't, you know, I've, I've heard that before where God just, you know, you're, you've not changed, but God just sees you differently. Or God's pretending that He doesn't see. No, that your sin is gone. You've been washed. The world has been washed off of you. You see? Such were you, but now, right, you've been washed. And because of that, what? We've been set apart for and from. We're set apart from all of that, and we're set apart for our service in God. Okay, and if we haven't been set apart from all of that, we won't be very, very effective in our service, right? So it's set apart for. Um, and set apart from. Those things have to work together. So we were washed, were sanctified, and we were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of God, our God. And so, uh, so we've been set apart so that we can draw near. We've been set apart so that we can be different than what we used to be. right? And then Acts 22.16, what was Paul told to do? Yeah, yeah, he wash away his sins, right? And so, you know, this is this is such an important thing. Um, you know, this this is where you know this is the point where we draw close to God. This is the point where we can serve God. This is the point where we have access to God, where we can stand in His presence, where we can offer Him service and worship in our life. This is the point where we are no longer common and ordinary and worldly. This is this is the washing is the point where that changes. Okay. And so, you know, part of the reasons I think that Christians don't always act like it's a privilege that, that once we've been obedient to the gospel, we get to serve our God is because we've acted like, well, just anybody can, can serve God. Okay, and kind of, you know, we've talked about this tonight already, the idea that we're inviting people to do things they aren't qualified to do. And in the church, sometimes it's so hard to get a volunteer for something that we'll literally take anybody who's willing to do it, uh, you know, because we don't have, have spiritual qualified people who stand up and say, I'll, I'll take care of this and I'll do this. You know, I've said for years, if you're a Christian and there's a need in the church, your hand should go up. I don't care what it is. You know, I, I don't care if you're the grumpy old man in the back, and I don't, I don't mean that. <laughs> but and we need someone to do the preschoolers. My, I'll go, I'll do it. You know, I'm not good at it. Wouldn't be the best guy for it. But if nobody else will do it, I'll raise my hand. I'll, you know, I'll do whatever is needed. You need some someone to lead a a women's quilting session or something. Sure, I'll do it if no one else. I don't know what I'm doing, but I'll vol- I will literally volunteer for anything the church needs because I'm a Christian. 
I'm a Christian, you know, and so I don't, get to, I don't get to decide what part of me belongs to God and what part doesn't, right? And so if there's a need, I'll volunteer to meet the need. Now, if there's someone who can better meet the need, I'll be the first to admit, if you need to wire that up, JR would be a better guy to do it than me. <laughs> if, you want, if you want your building to not burn down, we'll let JR do it. But if he can't do it, and I'll, I'll give her a go. <laughs> so... <laughs> All right, uh, but anyway, like I said, I think the, the 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 biggest the biggest problem is in the church. We you know we we quit acting like it's a privilege and it's an honor to serve. It's every, everybody that that gets up and does the Lord's Supper meditation that should be seen as a, such a huge privilege. Being asked to come up and preach somewhere such a privilege, such an honor. Being able to to, to serve communion to one another, being able to sing, all the things that happen in in, in our church assembly. But then we got to step outside the building. What kind of service can we offer to God when we aren't? in this place and are we looking at like at it like that's a privilege and an honor that not everybody gets to do but I get to serve my king today and I can do it at my work I can do it in my home I can do it with my family I can do it with my neighbors I can do it at the grocery store I can do it everywhere I am I can serve my king Jesus today and that's such an honor and such a privilege and so, you know, but it, but it starts, you know, you can't do that if you haven't followed the steps to draw near and be in the place where that service can happen, right? So spiritually, we have to be set apart. We have to draw near. We have to have our sins washed away. Those things have to happen there, okay? Um, <clears throat> now, we, we get this... Uh, this, uh, this idea as we're going through here that God has, has made the separation uh, between the holy and the profane, between the sinful and, 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 and what's not, and, you know, uh, but also between what becomes, you know, what, what can serve Him and what can't. Uh, turn, to, turn to Matthew chapter 7. You know, again, Scripture we've, we've read many times here in this class, but... Um, Verse 21 and 23 there, he says, uh, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness." You know, sometimes we get confused with people because we'll, we'll meet people that are full of good intentions and are sincere. And that's, that, that's the hardest, it's the hardest to admit when someone's in the wrong when they're sincere about it. It's easy to admit when someone's in the wrong when they have ill intent uh, or they're deceptive about it. But when someone is, is sincere and has good intentions and again, are wrong, boy, that, that, gets, that gets difficult, doesn't it? And, you know, we hear about this all the time. We'll hear, you know, we, we'll, we'll hear people bring up Mother Teresa or, or Billy Graham and things like that. And they say, well, these are, you know, look how they devoted their lives to God and all, all, the, all the, the things that they did for God. You know, were they Christians? They weren't Christians. They weren't Christians, okay? And so may, may, maybe, maybe they had good intentions. Maybe they were sincere. I didn't, I didn't personally know them. I don't know how sincere they were or not. But you can, a person can devote their entire lives to good, good works and good deeds, okay? And what, they, and what they feel is serving God, but if they're not following God's will, if they're not obedient to the gospel, you, you can't exchange that good intentions and, and sincerity for, for truth. It, it won't get you there, you see. And so, 
um, when we look here at Matthew chapter 7, we've got people that are expecting entrance into heaven, expecting to be welcomed with opened arms. Lord, Lord, they call him. Okay? So they, they think that they've lived a life where Jesus was the Lord of their life. They, that, that's the impression that they have. And of course, Jesus says, I don't even know who these people are. Now that's hard. Right? I mean, that, that's got to be one of the saddest things we'll read in the Bible. Is that there's going to be people, no one's going to be surprised at heaven. There's going to be so many people surprised by hell. Because that's not what they were expecting. And so here's people then that, that, that you know, were expecting heaven. And then, you know, verse 22, they'll say, Lord, look what we did. We, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons and perform many miracles? Look, look in your name, look at all the things that we did. All these good works that we did. Look how we've devoted ourselves to these things in your name. Does that matter? Now, I think we've talked about this before, uh, but you know, there's, there's nowhere in the Scripture where we can read where God has told every one of us to go prophesy and cast out demons and perform miracles. We're not commanded to do those things. Okay? So it's, it's not just about doing something for God. It's about doing what He told us to do. Right? We, we don't get to pick and choose here how we're going to do this. Right? Nobody got to got to you know, decide they were going to be a priest their own way. In the Old Testament, you had to do it God's way. That's the only way it was going to work. Same thing here. And so, notice Jesus doesn't argue with them. Okay? He simply says, depart from me. I never knew you. They practiced lawlessness. So they weren't obedient to him. Okay? They called him Lord, but obviously they weren't really listening to him. He didn't have authority in their life. And even though they did many things, they didn't do what he told them to do. Didn't to do they weren't actually obedient to him. And so, uh, but like I said, this whole scenario just screams that they never had a relationship. Okay, well, you know, you, you turn to John chapter 3, or John chapter 10, and when Jesus is talking about being the good shepherd, he says, to him the doorkeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, he calls his own sheep by what? By name. And he leads them out. Okay? Well, you know, here are these, these people in Matthew chapter 7. Jesus says, I don't even know who you are. I don't know you. But we're promised here in John chapter 10, my sheep, Jesus says he knows them and calls them by name. Right? Well, you know, we, we, we go over into Luke there and we read about a, a, a Lazarus and we read about a rich man. Right? Why is it that we've got the name of Lazarus and we don't get a name for the rich man? Didn't know him. Right? He's just a man whose riches became his Lord. Right? Uh, and so, you know, we, we want Jesus to know us by our name. That's important. Um, and it's not because, you know, when we look at, you know, like the rich, the rich man there in torment, uh, when we look at the crowd in Matthew chapter 7, understand as difficult as it is for us to look at that and say, man, you know, this, this is harsh. And, and like I said, that, that doesn't go over well in a lot of places. You know, you're, you're being unloving and, uh, you know, not being very, uh, uh, what's the word, accepting, I guess. Uh, of course, our society, you know, has, has redefined love to let, you know, if you love me, you'll let me do whatever I want and you'll approve of it. That's, that's, that's how our society defines love and that's not, that's that's farthest thing from it, but um, but you know we look at this and it, it's 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 easy to sit back and say, well, God's being awful harsh. Maybe He's being a little uh, um, 
you know, maybe, maybe he's overreacting. Uh, maybe, maybe God's being too strict. You realize, though, that when we look at this account, when we look at Matthew chapter 7, when we look at the rich man and Lazarus, when we look at, uh, you know, God kicking Adam and Eve out of the garden, it is not because God doesn't love them. It's not because God doesn't care about them. It's not because God is mean. It's not because God's being too strict. And it's not because He's just looking for a reason to punish people. In order for Him to know us, we have to be able to draw near. And if you have not done what you need to draw near, you can't have a relationship with somebody. I don't know all of you very well yet. I'm hoping we get to to know each other better uh, in time. Um, but, you know, before I came here, I knew almost none of you, <laughs> okay? I, I can't know you if, if I don't get a chance to be around you, right? That's how relationships work, you know? Uh, Chris was just talking about how he, there was someone that he was friends with on Facebook. I, it's hilarious that we have, we've got thousands of friends on Facebook we've never met before in our life. I don't know these people. You know, we're not friends. <laughs> you know, we, we don't have a relationship, you know. Um, you have to be near people to have a relationship. And so, you know, it's, it's not because God's mad at these people. I, I, don't, I don't know them. Depart from me. You can't have a relationship with God if you can't draw near to God. Right? And there's only, there's, there's, there's only one way to draw near to God. And so, you know, that's, that's the issue here. And so when we sin, we are putting God in a position where He has to separate from us and we have to be separate from Him. And Jesus made a way for us to fix that, but it only happens His way. Right? There's, there's no other way around that. And so Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice there. Did I have? No, I don't have that in there. Okay. Um, Jesus is the, the, the sacrifice. Um, you know, he's, he's, it's in his atonement, uh, you know, in his blood, um, you know, and of course, how do we contact that blood? Okay, through immersion, right? Through baptism. Okay, we get into Romans 6 and we find out that there's a death, there's a burial, and there's a resurrection, but then what happens? We have to walk in a newness of life. Now, um, so the death and the burial and the resurrection that comes with baptism, okay, that puts us in a place where we can have a relationship with God now. Right? That's, that's the moment where sins are forgiven. That's the point where we can now have a relationship with God. And so the, the point, though, that, that I'm trying to make here is before that happens, you can't have that relationship. Well, what comes next? You have to pursue it. That's why we're to walk in a newness of life. What direction do you think we're supposed to walk in? Are we supposed to draw closer or farther away? We're supposed to draw near. That's the whole point. In order to draw near, this has to happen. Right? And so, you know, we, we come to a point where we can have our sins forgiven. We can, we can now have a relationship with God. And the command is walk toward that life. Walk in that newness of life. Draw closer to God. Now, have you ever met somebody that wants to get baptized but doesn't want to draw near to God. Sure, happens a lot. Um, I think I mentioned the story, well, you know, I had a guy come to me, uh, you know, met, we had Bible study several nights, uh, just me and him sitting there going through the Scriptures, and, uh, you know, but it became real apparent he had no intention of doing anything different with his life. He was just wanted baptized. Uh, he wasn't going to be around the Lord's table on a Sunday. He wasn't going to be in the assembly. Uh, he wasn't planning on reading his Bible any. Uh, he wasn't, I mean, just, he, but he wants baptized. 
Okay, so he, he wants to follow uh, the Lord to the grave, okay, but he didn't want to follow him anywhere else, you see. I mean, he wasn't willing to follow Jesus past the baptistry. Okay, and so for him, it was, well, I need to get rid of sin, but it wasn't, I need to get rid of sin so I can have a relationship with God. Okay, it was, I need to get rid of my sin because he was having a surgery in a week or two and wanted to, you know, it was fire insurance is what it was. And so, uh, still working with him, by the way. You know, hoping, hoping things, you know. Anyway, we'll see what happens. We're, we're still, still making an effort there. But the point is, you know, it's, it's baptism is necessary in order to have that relationship with God. Uh, and sometimes we, we put all the emphasis on the baptism and we don't, we don't put the emphasis on, okay, now you need to draw near, right? And if you don't draw near, you were just baptized. You, you need, you, that relationship's what matters, right? I, I, I never knew you. I, I, I can't think, I mean, that's got to be the worst thing you could ever hear, right? Is from the mouth of the Lord, I, I don't know you. We don't have that relationship, okay? And so the fact that he wants it from us at all ought to be enough motivation on our end to pursue it, you know? Okay, let's, uh, let's, let's back up here. Um, something else you need to have to be a priest is you've got to be from the right family. Okay, we've talked a bit about that. Uh, you've got to be from the tribe of Levi. Uh, you know, and so your mom and dad made a, made, had a big part to do with this. Um, you, know, you don't have a lot of say-so over what tribe you're born in. Um, you have no say-so over what tribe you're born in, all right? And so, uh, so one of the requirements was your, 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 uh, your lineage. Now, um, you know, spiritually, uh, you know, we also have to be from the right lineage, okay? And the thing is, under the Old Testament law, nobody here is going to qualify to be a priest. Um, you know, uh, and, you know, so I think, you know, what's, what's interesting about that, I, I think, you know, there's a lot of excuses from Christians of why we're not serving God today. Um, in the Old Testament, I think you could have had legitimate excuses. Well, I'm not a Levite, right? I wasn't born as a Levite. Uh, I, I, I don't, you know, I'm not qualified because of this or because of that. In the church today, you know, all those excuses, they're, 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 none of them are legitimate. The Lord has made sure that they've been all taken care of if you want to pursue this. Okay, and so um, has anyone here ever done the, the, the family ancestry thing that everyone's doing online right now? Okay, track down some family from history. Did you ever find something you don't want to know in there? <laughs> oh boy, yeah. It's exciting, isn't it? Okay, well, good deal, yeah. I used to always say, you know, everyone's like, everyone gets into that hoping they're, you know, related to someone famous or, you know, you know something like that. And I always think, boy, you could, who knows what you're going to find out. I mean, you could have a history you don't want to know in there, you know. And so I, I, I've, I'm leaving mine a big, big mystery, Mark. I don't want to. <laughs> he could find that out, couldn't you? Yeah. So, um, but anyway, you know, let's, let's look here. Galatians chapter 4, uh, 1 through 5 uh, tells us... Um, it says, now I say, as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, although he's owner of everything. He is under guardians and managers until the date set by the father. So also we, while we were children, were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Now, the book of Galatians, uh, much like, uh, like a whole lot of what's going on in 2 Corinthians as well, is dealing with um, you know, Jewish Christians uh, and their acceptance of Gentile 
Christians, okay? And so there comes this point where, um, you know, people, Jewish Christians who are in Christ are now, you know, putting uh, physical laws on the Gentiles. And so, you know, they're arguing about Sabbath day stuff, whether you can eat, you know, bacon with your breakfast in the morning and whether you're going to have to, you know, lay on the couch all day on Saturday or whether you can go to work or not, you know. And so they're they're arguing about these kind of things, okay. Circumcision was another big one they were fighting about. And, you know, Paul is talking to the churches in Galatia trying to trying to patch this up and one of the ways he's doing that is is by uh trying to convince the jewish christians um you know that the law served a purpose but we're done with it okay and so here in chapter four okay he gets to this point where he starts talking about you know uh the difference between a child and a slave so he says i say as long as the heir is a child he does not differ at all from a slave although he's owner of everything okay well you know in verse 2 there, but he's under guardians and managers until the date set by the father. So according to Jewish customs, when did a Jewish boy become a man? Okay, he's 13 years old, all right? And so 13 years old, boy's a, he's, he's, a, he's, a, he's a man. Um, you know, he's in line for an inheritance, but couldn't, couldn't receive it until an appointed time. Now, you know, the idea here is that the Jewish people were heirs to a promise, Right, it, it's it's kind of like this. It's it's you know the the Jewish people have been waiting in line a lot longer than the Gentiles have, right? And so they they you know they should get to go first, right? So they're they're heirs to the promise. They've they've been they grew up under the system. The system was to point people to Christ. They should have been eagerly anticipating the coming Messiah and excited about it. But the point is heirs to a promise. Uh, but you have to wait for the appointed time. And so while a child is an heir or a slave, well, while they're a child, there's not really any difference. Okay? And so, you know, children are, are told what to do the same way the servant is. You know, children are, aren't given um, a lot of responsibility, just like the servant maybe isn't given a lot of responsibility yet. A lot of free will, those sorts of things. And so, you know, uh, now I've heard that under Greek culture, there was a popular um, idea, and it's, it's, it's very foreign today, uh, but the idea that a lot of the Greek uh, nobles and well-to-dos had was that, um, that they thought it might be good if their children worked for something. Okay? And so... Yeah, yeah, I know. Strange idea. So they, uh, they thought even if the child was going to be heir of everything, they, the child needed to be treated like a servant for a period of time before they were given control. Now, maybe you all have, have seen this happen. Uh, maybe a guy starts a business, gets real successful with the business, hands it off to the kid. What's the kid do with the business? Yeah, yeah. Why, why does that happen? Yeah, they didn't do the work. They, they didn't put in the effort to, to get there, you know. So they squandered. So that happens a lot. You hear about that kind of stuff happening a lot. Same idea here. So they thought, well, maybe if we treat the son like a servant, uh, you know, until an appointed time, then maybe the, the, the son will, will appreciate and, and understand the work that goes into this before he's the guy uh, kind of in control of things, okay? And so, anyway, that's, that's, uh, that's something that, that people seem to do sometime. Maybe give these kids a, a shot at what real life might be like. But the point is, the difference between a slave and a son 
you know, uh, there's not a lot for a while, but there comes a point when it, there's a big difference, right? When that kid is no longer the kid and can receive his inheritance, how much of a difference is it knowing that you're a son and not just a servant? Uh, it's everything, right? It's everything. It changes everything, right? Because it's no more about, well, I just got to get through the day and here I got to put in my, I mean, it's, it's, uh, I mean, it makes all the difference in the world. And so the idea here, if we look into verse 7, I don't have it up there. Um, Verse 7 says, Therefore you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Okay? Well, how did we become sons? John chapter 1, verse 12 through 13, As many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in His name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Right? Who are the children of God? Those who've been born of God. Is that physical or spiritual? Spiritual is being born again, right? So again, are you in the family? If, can you draw near if you've not been born again? No, no. You, you know, so again, it's not that God, God's mad at people. It's not that God you know, is angry at somebody. It's, it's that God doesn't have a relationship with them. Right? And so that's what happens because of sin. Now there's a way to deal with sin. Right? Jesus made sure we've got a way to deal with it, but it's got to be done His way. That's real important. Um, Ephesians chapter 1 brings this up as well. Uh, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself according to the kind intention of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. And so from the beginning of time, God had a plan to bring us to Him as sons through Jesus Christ. And so everything that God has done since the beginning has been to bring that about. Which means, again, that the Old Testament system, the tabernacle, the priesthood, the sacrifices, none of it was random. It was all steps to get us to this point. Right? Adoption as sons. And so, anyway, hoping you're seeing here that we've been set apart in much of the same way as the physical priest. Set apart from the world. Um, you know, we've been set apart um, in, in uh, you know... Uh, certainly our zeal for God. We've been washed. We've been consecrated. We have a different, uh, different family lineage, right? We're born of God, those things there. But now, you know, we get to the, the main point is, uh, is simply this, though. As a Christian, as a priest, you know, what have we been set apart for? And, you know, that is, that is equally as important as understanding what we've been set apart from and how that process works. But, you know, when a man became a priest in the Old Testament, something was expected of him, right? He didn't just go home and never show up. I mean, he was expected to participate, to perform the duties of, of, of the priesthood. And so, do you think anybody could sit back and say, well, I don't like that smell of that incense. I don't think I'm going to fool with that, you know. Or, well, all those blood and guts of the sacrifices makes me uneasy. Maybe, you know, that, that, I'm not, I'm not going to participate in this today. You know, or the smoke from the lamp and that oil, it really kind of bothers me. I've got some allergy problems, so maybe I won't be a part of that today either. You know, 
And there's no, no excuses, right? I mean, a priest was expected to serve. There's no point where we find excuses for why I can't do anything or why I can't participate or why I can't be useful in this. And then we also have to get it out of our head that a priest, a man became a priest, went into the temple or the tabernacle, sat down on a church pew, sang some songs, took communion, listened to a sermon, and shook the guy's hand and walked out. Because that's not it. You know, and again, that's, that's what we get today. We think that our service is what happens on Sunday morning. That doesn't translate with this pattern. You know, the, the pattern isn't, you know, well, you became a priest so you can come to church on Sunday. It's you became a priest so that you can serve Him and offer worship and sacrifice in your life 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And so our assembly is not our service to God. You know, if anything, it's the break from the service. It's the time where we get fueled back up so we can get back out there and, 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 and engage in the work that we're called to do. Right? We need our assembly. Right? You need to be living in such a way that you need that encouragement and that fellowship. You know, right? Where we need to be built up by one and accountable to one another. And you know, we need that kind of, we need to live a life where that's so important and necessary for us and we're excited to be here. But this should be the break from the work not the work, right? This is where we come to get the, to top off the tank. All right. Um, and so again, there's also no place for a priest to become a priest and then sit back and say, well, you know, I would help out, but I'm not sure what to do. Right? I mean, how did a priest know what he's supposed to do? Yeah, it's, it's in there. Right? I mean, God, God had it written down for them, right? And so there's instruction. They're expected to know it, right? Well, how are we supposed to know what we're supposed to do? It's in the Bible, right? God's not, it's not, you're not going to feel it. It's not going to be a whim. It's not going to be a whisper in your ear. It's not going to be a tug on your heart. It's not going to be indigestion from the dinner you ate last night. It's, it's in the Bible. That's the only way we're going to know what we're supposed to do. And so, you know, we can sit back and say, well, you know, maybe I'm not sure how to live the Christian life. Well, you know, the Bible tells us that, right? So, you know, if, if that's the excuse, don't, don't let it stay the excuse, right? Do something about that, right? And so, um, so God has expectations, okay? They don't change. Our choice is not whether we're going to do it. Um, our choice is simply going to be, you know, I, will I do what's expected or am I going to let God down on this? I mean, that's it. It's not about me trying to figure out a way and, you know, how will I get involved? No, it's will you be involved as a priest before God or not? There, there's, there's, there's not much of a middle ground here. You know, it's all in uh, and that's the only way God will accept it, Okay. And so as, uh, as preachers, as, as leaders in our congregations too, uh, we need to decide as a church you know, whether we're going to expect Christians in our congregations to do what's expected or whether we're going to be fine with accepting less from them than God would accept. Okay? And that's a dangerous place to be in. We should never, as a church, ever expect less from people than what God expects from them. Okay? That's, that's a dangerous place to be. Um, <clears throat> We're, uh, we're out of time. Um, okay, I got some scriptures I'll throw out here. Um, we're not going to hit this one right now. Uh, let's look at this. Romans chapter 12. I want to end with this. I, I don't want to get into this next week. Uh, Romans chapter 12. Um, this kind of lays it out for us uh, in a pretty good way here. I think I've got some other scriptures in your booklets there that you can look at too. 
um, about what, as a priest, what we're supposed to do. This, uh, this sums it up in a good way, though, I think here. Romans chapter 12. You know, we've talked about this before. He says in verse 1, uh, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Okay, and so here's the thing we need to understand. As a priest, who is doing the offering here? I am, right? The Christian does. You present yourself. So, so who's presenting? You are. As the priest, you, you bring the, the offering to God. What are you presenting? Yourself. You are also the sacrifice. Okay, so you are the priest and you're the one that's presenting the sacrifice. So you are making the sacrifice. It's a living sacrifice and you're the one presenting it. Now, um, this is a big deal, okay? So I'm the one offering the sacrifice. I am the sacrifice uh, because I'm the priest. And then if all these things happen, then it becomes acceptable to God. What happens if I don't, uh, if I don't offer myself? My life's not acceptable to God. What if I'm not living up to the idea of being the priest here? Not acceptable to God, right? And so anytime sin starts to enter into this mix, what you end up with is, is it kind of falls apart here, right? Because if, 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 sin, if sin is coming into my life, right, then, uh, then I've taken myself off the altar. That's, that's what sin looks like. I've decided to, to not present myself to God in this moment, in this decision, in this circumstance. And so, and that happens. I mean, people do that. You know, that's the, that's the, the problem with being a living sacrifice is you can wiggle yourself off the altar, okay? Uh, now, you know, what do you need to do when that happens? You need to repent, get back on the altar, you know. But that's the, you know, if it's a dead sacrifice, once it's on the altar, it's dead, it ain't going nowhere. The problem with the living sacrifice is we have a tendency to wiggle our way off there every now and then, okay? And so, when, when, and that's what sin looks like in our life, right? Sin is us taking ourselves off the altar. It's no longer me. I'm not presenting myself. I'm not being the sacrifice. I'm not living as a priest before God in this situation, in this decision, uh, in this moment, see? And so, anyway, it all starts to break down. Me as the priest, me as the one offering, me as the sacrifice. And if that breaks down, then God's acceptance of it goes away also. Okay? And so, uh, we'll close uh, with this, this idea, you know, just keep, you know, remember, as a priest before God, we have been set apart from the world, right? And we've been set apart for His service. You know, those two, those two ideas, so crucial. Set apart from something, set apart for something.